Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the, another episode of the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm Dr. Don McDonald, your host, and uh, today I get the pleasure of interviewing a gentleman who's been in practice for 40 years, I think, pretty much, and uh, he, I just got to really get to know him this year. Uh, we just we had an event down in San Francisco he was at, and I got to meet him live time, and I've been really impressed with how you can be in practice for 40 years and still be so excited about what you're doing and just love what you do every day. Um, this chiropractor is a, a graduate from Palmer College of Chiropractic, and now he practices in Kentucky. And uh, I think everyone's going to be a little bit fascinated with his story. I really like what he's been doing in his practice. So I think I'd like to share this with all the listeners. So Dr. Michael Winters, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad that you're here too. It's uh, it was it's been really nice to get to know you over the last year, and uh, I think your story would be really um, is really good, and I think a lot of people will learn from it. So, like I like to do with all my guests, is start off with uh, kind of a little bit about how you got into chiropractic in the very first place. Well, I grew up on a farm, and that's kind of a another story there, but uh, <laughs> we can get into in a second. But I've had some back pain, probably eighth grade or so, saw a uh, osteopath, I think, in town. But then later on, uh, when I was in, uh, well, time my senior year of high school, I had mono and got it really bad. And that knocked me out of half a football season, probably knocked me out of a college scholarship. And um, then uh, I just, I got back into football after a while, got into wrestling and stuff, but I couldn't get my drive back. I couldn't get going. My uncle asked a chiropractor that he was going to, if he might be able to help me, he said he thought he could. So that's when I started getting adjusted regularly. Oh, nice. And, and then, uh, then I went to college and walked on at a really small college and I was small, but I'd lifted a lot of hay bales all the summer. <laughs> so I was fairly strong, even though I was small. But I got the crap beat out of me in college football. During that time, I was also, some people pressured me about taking antibiotics for my skin. I was taking antibiotics for my skin, and that didn't seem to go good, but I kept doing it. My health kept going downhill, and I, I would get pretty beat up in football, and I would go to a local chiropractor there who would put my shoulder back in place, and he would adjust my spine and help with some of the pain things. But then as my health declined, I got sicker and sicker. And then I finally got my worst grades ever. I think I got my first D. And uh, anyway, I got so I got headaches terribly and fatigue all the time. And I finally had to literally drop out of school. And the chiropractor that was more of the pain chiropractor couldn't really help me. And I went to a medical doctor and they didn't really have any direction for me either. So I went to another chiropractor closer to my home. And by that time, I was flat on my back most of the time. So in the polyvagal stuff, I was I was basically dorsal vagal, I realize now. I mean, I was I was laying down uh, 
20 out of 24 hours a day just because if I sat up, I got all dizzy and woozy and really now, now, how old were you at this time? Uh, well, I've been about 20 years old, 20 years old. That's crazy. And so what you, were you playing at a college in Iowa? Yeah, playing football? Uh-huh. Which college yeah. was it? Univista. It's called Univista University. Now it's, it's a small college, about a thousand students. Oh, wow. So that must be crazy. You're 20 years old and you can't even move like that's. Yeah. So I lost my position on the football team. I dropped out of school. I couldn't hardly function. So I went to the chiropractor and he started adjusting me and then also started using some nutrition with me and taking a little different uh, perspective on it, a little more whole person type of perspective on it. And, uh, And then I gradually started getting better. I mean, one morning I went in there and he tested my blood sugar. It was 50. So it was really low. I had terrible hypoglycemia. Oh, jeepers. And, uh, but he, he started helping me recover. And during that time, uh, or before that time, I had, uh, I, I went to college for, to major in uh, business. But then I thought, man, they're teaching me to work for somebody else. And I don't want to work for somebody else. And I'd grow, grown up on a farm kind of environment of working for yourself. So I wasn't relating to working for a big corporation. And then just as a backup plan, I had started taking the science courses in case I wanted to go to chiropractic college. Well, then after I got sick and then a chiropractor helped me recover, then I knew for sure that was the deal. And by that time, I was two and a half years in. And at the time at Palmer, you didn't have to have a four-year degree. And I had just enough science classes to get in. And after I'd gotten sick and dropped out and then got better, um, the uh, chiropractor also offered to fly me to Davenport to a career day. And we were in the same state, but it's 400 miles across the state. We're in the opposite corner. Right. <laughs> so he and his partner flew me and a couple other uh, young people to Palmer and went to a career day. And then I decided that was going to be it. That's excellent. So what do you, what do you remember about that career day? Honestly, nothing. <laughs> you don't. So something must have been significant enough about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I had. Um, yes, I'm sure something was significant about it, but I had already. Um, I had already knew that I wasn't following my calling when I was in the first part of college that. Learning business and working for a corporation or something wasn't my calling. And then I, I realized that part of the reason that I had gotten sick was not only antibiotics and other stuff, but and getting beat up in football, but was that I wasn't really following my calling. And so I really. You, you, that was just kind of like the icing on the cake. So that was, just, yeah, the career was day like, was just the icing on the cake. The career day was just the mechanism to get going with it. Yeah, that's great. So you started Palmer. So what was Palmer like back when you, cause did you start in 80 something? 80, yeah, 1980. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about Parker, or sorry, Palmer at the time. Um, at the time, it was good. We had Virgil Strang, who was a professor then. And uh, uh, of course, Dr. Schmidel. Dr. Schmidel. I got both. I had like, both those. Yeah. <laughs> he was there until just a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was good. I, I really, I still did have some health problems. Um, I saw Dr. Vern Hagen off campus. I don't know if you remember him or not, but um, I still had some health problems. I was still kind of challenged, but, um, you know, I put in the work and got it done. And 
That's uh, great. And, and so your overall experience at, at uh, Palmer was pretty good. You, did you have fond memories? Yeah. yeah. Was it challenging or would, or how, how did you find it? I think it, it was challenging just because I still wasn't fully recovered with my health. Right. Uh, so in that sense, it was challenging, but I did, I did good. And I was, you know, obviously I was a technique nut. I did the, uh, the uh, technique internship. I still got the clock on the wall beside me there, you know, where you teach other students the technique in the last couple of quarters. Wow. That's good. So I did that and I had the highest technique score in my class of 180 yeah. students. Yeah. So I had the highest score of that. And, uh, which is why I'm still studying stuff like your your program here, Don. <laughs> well, that's why you implemented it so fast and like made it your own. That's great. So, yeah, and um, yeah, you, you all got a really good, uh, really good program on this and a really unique perspective uh, that's very useful. Now, w- when you graduated, um, what made you decide to go to Kentucky? Because like you lived in Iowa your whole life. What what drew yeah, you right. down there? So. About halfway through chiropractic college, my grandmother said, you know, you have a relative that's a chiropractor. I said, really? So it was my grandfather's half-sister's son. So I guess that would be like a distant cousin, but I'd never met him, never even heard of him. Uh, But once I found that out, I decided to come down to Kentucky and visit him. He was in Paducah, where where I'm currently at, and he was about ready to retire, we thought, and et cetera. And so I came down and visited. I liked it. And there we had in Kentucky, we have trees besides just at the farmhouses. And I was just at the farmhouses. <laughs> and then it's all just fields, right? <laughs> yeah, it's all just fields. You got a couple of trees around the house and that's about it. Um, so I, I like that perspective. And anyway, as it decided to start where he was at there. So I, I started on August 1st, 1984 here in Kentucky. I'd worked for about six months as an associate in Iowa while I was waiting to get my Kentucky license and everything. But August 1st was my first day and I've, I've still got one patient that's still coming. I just saw him this week. That's from that first day or right from the beginning. That's awesome. (laughs) And, uh, so that was, uh, that was cool. Now, when you first started, like when you first got into practice, um, just because we always talk about that, that, you know, that spectrum in chiropractic between like, um, you know, the pain base or treating, treating back pain um, to treating conditions to kind of vitality or optimizing function. Tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about when you graduated, where was your mindset in that spectrum? I think it was in both places. Mm-hmm. It was, it was in the vitality perspective, the whole person perspective from my own experiences uh, get doing better after having mono and doing better after getting sick flat on my back. Uh, so it was in that perspective, but then you're also trying to survive and make a living and so forth. And probably about two years in, I, well, I, I, be honest, I think my, I don't know. I remember one of the first years and maybe it wasn't a full year. It was like $11,000 was my, my gross or something. Of course, back then you didn't charge near as much either with like a yeah. $1 adjustment or something. <laughs> but a couple of years in, so I decided to do Chuck Gibson management. Oh, cool. And um, so he convinced me to do this $25 ad in the newspaper, you know, which would uh, get your whole exam for $25, et cetera, et cetera. And 
I was scared, like <laughs> I was just scared, period, for my picture and this $25 ad thing to come out. Like I just sweated and I just couldn't sleep for nights before it did and et cetera. And then, uh, but I lived through that, of course. And then lo and behold, like it was probably just a week later, this chiropractor calls me up in town and says, I've worked. 50 years to build up the reputation of chiropractic in this town and you just destroyed it in one newspaper ad. Oh, oh man. <laughs> in other words, don't say anything. Don't promote yourself. Yeah, that's right. Don't say anything. Don't try to make a living. Don't, don't do what it takes to get going. Yeah. Oh, crazy. And then another crazy thing that happened shortly after that was that the the newspaper i'd already been running ads for like a year the newspaper comes around and says uh well we realized we made a mistake we didn't realize that our newspaper we have a policy against chiropractors advertising <laughs> and i'm like oh <laughs> and they were like i know we've taken your ad already but we've got to stop and they did for like two years they wouldn't take an ad no matter what Really? Wow. And yeah, they, you know, it was basically the idea that chiropractors were quacks and the newspaper editor or whatever had decided that. Wow. And, but the, but he didn't have, but the ad representatives didn't know the policies, I guess. Interesting. So just curious when you started the back in the eighties, because like had, had chiropractic already been regulated in Kentucky for a while or like, cause oh, I yeah. know. So it had yeah. been there for a while because I know there's yeah. some states that were like actually quite late. Uh, oh, yeah, Louisiana and others. But chiropractic had been pretty regulated for quite a while. OK. Um, but what happened was on the newspaper thing was uh, at one point the editor watched uh, some show on NBC where they were interviewing a, a D.C. and an M.D. together. And basically they said, oh, the whole whole thing. That was about the time of the Wilk trial, et cetera. Close yeah. to that, they said this whole thing is just uh, a business thing. It's it's uh, it's. Uh, I love the quackery. The, quack huh? the quackery. It's quackery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so once once he uh, viewed this uh, this interview, then he changed his policy and allowed ads again. Oh, oh. So it was actually so it was, it was more of a positive outlook. That was good. <laughs> yeah. So it, it got reversed, but. Um, it was just one of those little hurdles at first, you know, that you gotta gotta overcome. Yes. Now, now through practice, um, uh, besides that one, um, that management company, it was uh, Gibson, was it Gibson yeah, Management? Um, um, yes. What other, who other, what other kind of mentors or seminars did you go through that you were influenced through for those first like ten or ten or twenty years? Um, first ten or twenty years. I've taken a, I took a couple of different managements like Markson management and yeah. Steve Hoffman, et cetera. Those yeah. first few years. Um, Probably lots of technique seminars though. Yeah. Lots of technique <laughs> seminars. We got the analytical <laughs> there. That's it's awesome. I just like, give me the goods. I've done a little of all of the technique seminars. That's great. So, so have I you just somebody now I'm still using, like I might use, 10 techniques and one thing I've just learned how to blend them all. And yes. So, so tell me a little bit about um, like from the spectrum, even in adjusting right from full on manual adjusting all the way down to like tonal adjusting. Um, when you first uh, came out of school, were you kind of focused? Yeah, on I did. One? 
all manual adjusting and drop table adjusting. Yeah. But then um, I gradually, gradually got more instrument adjusting myself. And then that resonated. I realized that that resonated with my body better. And then, so I started doing more of that and I took a activator once I didn't go very far in that, but, uh, and then later I took, well, I don't know if I took torque release, I got the instrument, but, um, and then later I took corn specific technique and, um, that's when I started switching to almost hundred percent instrument adjusting. Yes. But it, it resonated better with, with my body. And then I found a lot of patients, you know, it resonated well with, so. That's pretty much what I've stuck with for the most part. That's great. And then um, you also said it was it quantum. Um, what was the the quantum? Uh, I do quantum neurology. Neurology. So tell me a little bit about what that is and and how you got introduced to that. Well, that's uh, resetting the motor, sensory, visceral uh, nerve supplies. So you'll you'll check muscles and in the myotomes that are weak and then reset those. So you, you'll basically, you'll find a weakness, display it to the brain by finding it, then adjust them and put some red light therapy on them at the same time, which just gives a little extra energy for the nervous system. And then you let that whole cycle reboot. And so it is resetting the uh, motor systems. And then you do different things with sensory, like, with whether it's with a pinwheel or just scraping it or touch, light touch, deep touch, pressure, vibration, hot, cold, et cetera, to mm-hmm. reset the sensory system. And then something that I use a lot because I take care of a lot of autoimmune patients is the visceral stuff. Um, like L3 might be tied to pancreas or adrenals or spleen, et cetera. And you reboot the nerve supply into the organ. Ah, that's cool. That's some cranial nerve stuff. Yeah. Although, as I mentioned, I don't do as much cranial nerve stuff now. Uh, as I did, because what what you're what I'm learning from you is, yeah, if I get into that safety corridor, a lot of the cranial nerve stuff calms down on on its own. That's that's cool. Yeah. Now, when you were in practice, had had you ever um, gone through like a, a because you you have so much knowledge of technique behind you? Have you ever gone through a stretch where you lost your certainty in your in your technique or in your not maybe not your technique, but maybe in yourself during practice? Like any challenging times where you felt kind of like Oof. oh yeah, maybe the first twenty years. <laughs> no. No, I'm don't. living proof that you can screw up a lot of stuff in twenty for the first twenty years and then do well for the next twenty. So, so that being said, if, if, if in the first 20 years, you kind of had a little bit of a loss in confidence, looking back on it, what do you, what do you think um, that you either needed to know about yourself or what you had to learn in order to be able to overcome some of those uh, certainty challenges? Well, yeah, it was learning that it doesn't come from outside me. It comes from inside me and that I'm much better off, uh, much better off uh, working on me more than anything else, and that uh, that I can just uh, just kind of think of more words there. That I can just uh, just focus on a lot on improving myself, and and that I can enjoy the process. I mean, a lot of stuff for me in the early years was just thinking, oh, the answer is this next seminar or the answer is this next book or the answer is that. 
for this, and then I put it on a credit card thinking that would pay off later, uh, I'd make more money, et cetera. Well, then I ended up with a lot of credit card debt, and then that messed yes. me up. Yes. Oh, man, I bet you there's a lot of people who can relate with that. I In the be yeah. my beginning <laughs> days, I can totally relate to that. Brandy used to get mad at me because I was like the collector of programs. And so like, I think the first 10 years, I was mostly just the collector of programs, and sometimes I'd go through them. Um, and and if I did go through them, I still wouldn't implement them. And so, like, I'm, I'm I finally had had to become instead of a consumer, I needed to be a creator or an implementer of my of my programs. But that's that's such a good thing is that we always think it's going to be the next thing rather than kind of maximizing the stuff that we already know. And and when was it where you just where you realized like we always talk about in technique, the goal is not to create another Don or another Michael or another or another Thompson or another Gonstead, but to kind of take all these tools to create your own technique. And, and when did you finally realize that you could actually amalgamate these and create and make them your own? Yeah, that was a gradual process, but maybe 15 to 20 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I came to that realization. Yeah. And it was just a gradual thing or was there anything where you just went like, Hey, maybe I just don't need to like exactly mimic other techniques Uh, i think it was a gradual thing i had some coaching and stuff too yeah i've had a long time coach that's helped me a lot organize stuff and learn to make it my own implement it well that's cool and and there's another thing that you uh, that i noticed that you really do is you really got into the youtube channel like for as far as promoting your practice because you initially start off with uh your um the paper the newspaper and and now you've been doing a lot of YouTube videos. Can you maybe just explain a little bit of how, why you got into doing those YouTube videos? Um, I just saw other people using them successfully and that videos were an easy way to explain. You know, you can use them for multiple things. You can explain things to patients rather than sit there and talk with them about it. And that they're always there available. And once you've got a video, you can just flip them the link and you don't have to explain as much. And then uh, new people find us that way. And, uh, you know, the average new patient seeing me has already watched a bunch of videos. They feel like they know me before they get in the door. Yeah. Because they watched a lot of videos. And I just kept hammering them out, usually one a week or so. So now there's probably 500 videos on there. Wow. And some, some of them don't get a lot of views, and a few do get quite a few views. But, yeah. Now, like for a chiropractor who's listening and they might be too scared to do a video, um, like when you first did your first YouTube video, was that nerve wracking at all? or Not too bad. I, I'd taken Toastmasters and things like that to work yeah. on some of my skills. But the only the only really bad video is no video. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and you just keep making bad videos until you make a little bit better video. You know, you, you just... Uh, don't worry about the stumbles and the bumbles and the way I've always done them because I'm, I didn't say because I'm 64 years old, but, <laughs> but the way I did, I, I didn't know how to edit stuff very well or anything anyway. So I would just go from start to finish. And then if it something was, wasn't right, I would go to from start to finish again. Yeah. Just finish and it. Then I, I don't worry about the bumbles or the itch in my nose or whatever, because that just looks real for people anyway. So, uh, so there's a lot of people that got a lot of fear of making videos, but it's really, really useful. And it, it never, um, it never really stops paying off. Right. 
So once they're there, you can use them on YouTube and Facebook and other places or send, send the links to people and it just never stops paying off. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. And like you said, it was more consistency where you just, you kind of committed to doing like one a week and then just did it. Yep. That's right. You must've been doing it for a long time. If you have almost 500 videos, that's yeah, at least 10 years. Oh, 10 years. Cheapers. You're, you're early on the, on the YouTube train. That was good. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's, let's pop forward now. Cause like, um, we've had you in our, um, the informed chiropractor and, and just kind of, um, wrapping, um, your brain around the polyvagal theory. And I just wonder if you could kind of explain to some of the listeners about kind of what some of your realizations or some of the benefits of understanding the polyvagal theory is, uh, as it goes to like your communication and adjusting, what, 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 what did you find interesting about it? really so much in that it does explain behavior a lot and it explains where the patient is at, you know, to see whether they're more sympathetic or they're more uh, dorsal vagal or they're more regulated. And it explains um, a lot about the, I've re-gotten back into the feel of things since um, you and Brandy have been tapping at my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that... I was just going to say, I think that's kind of important because, uh, because I think a lot of, if chiropractors are just naturally more analytical, um, it's really easy to get into your head, right? Because you're, you're kind of yes. like, you know, doing the checks, doing this checks and, and, and sometimes we got to kind of force ourselves out to get into the, like into the practice member, like actually hands-on to kind of get the feeling and connect with them. Is, yeah. is that, is that one of the things you find that that's, you've been working on a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. And it's been uh, super enlightening this year to just realize how powerful this front of the body is and doing this visceral work and diaphragm and ribs, et cetera, is. And I hadn't really, I was doing some before, but I hadn't really connected to the power of it and the, 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 the touch of it, so to speak. And that's been pretty, uh, pretty enlightening and pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's funny how we always say that we, we don't, most time in chiropractic, unless you have a technique where you're checking the spine on their back, we, we don't usually flip people over and see if, if our ventral, because if we want to be ventral vagal, we need to be open on the ventral side and, and we don't really check the ventral side to see if it, yes. ab- if it actually can open. <laughs> That's right. So that's good. Um, I was wondering if you could just maybe maybe give an example of maybe a, a practice member. Uh, you don't have to use names or anything, but just a practice member that you might have uh, maybe switched you, looking at them through a polyvagal lens and how that, that helped you get some improved results with. Oh, there's just tons and tons of examples of that. I, I know just one of the older patients I'm working with that's probably close to 80, but he almost died with COVID, you know, two years ago, was in the hospital for 30 days and on the ventilator and all that stuff. And I worked with him when he got out and he got going more and able to do more, but he was um, still really had a lot of anxiety and almost just, just getting into these modes where he didn't know hardly what was going on. He'd almost be shaking and things like that. And just by, after I went to San Francisco, just starting adjusting his ribs, and opening up his diaphragm more and like 
a lot of his anxieties calmed down. He's much more active. He's people, other, uh, his wife says that other people are just coming up to him and saying, wow, something's different about you. You're way, you're way better than you were. And that was really just, it was really just working on his ribs that I hadn't been doing well enough on. Yeah. Well, again, we're always doing the best we can. And like I said, if we, if we do these, poly, the, like looking at adjusting through a polyvagal lens, we're not necessarily uh, like making someone change a technique. It's just almost like uh, an amplifier That's right. of your current technique because the current technique is still important because we still need that base adjustment. But this is almost like uh, just, just an amplifier that kind of adds on top of it. Yeah. And, you know, a point I'd like to make in general is we should always be improving. I think Datis Karazian says you should be able to look back at your files a couple of years ago and be embarrassed about what you were doing. That's a sign that you're improving, you know. It's funny. That's good. <laughs> but um, and then I think that I've got a saying I've had recently that results flow from loving the process of getting better and better. That's why I'm enthusiastic. I just love the process of me getting better and better. And as I get better and better, more people keep coming and 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 more, um, you know, there's just more results with patients and more people keep coming and everything uh, gets better and better. And then as we talked about the uh, working on yourself, you know, uh, growing up on a farm, I'd, I went, I had to milk cows. That was my job. I was the oldest, oldest child. And by golly, if we had the flu, we got out of bed, milked the cows and went back to bed. Because you got to milk the cows twice a day, or they, you know, they would get sick and die, basically. And then, then, then your whole living is gone. So you got to milk the cows twice a day. And I remember going out in blizzards, white blizzard. I, I thought for a while that I had a memory of tying a rope around ourselves and going out to the barn because the blizzard was so bad. And I didn't know if it was a real memory. And then I searched through old newspapers. And I found out at that time, it was actually a recommendation by Iowa State University to tie a rope around yourself when you went out in a blizzard so that you didn't get lost and could get back to the house. So I think it was a real memory. Well, that would make sense since you said in Iowa, you have your house, a couple of trees, and that's it. So if you yeah. just, you'd be walking across and then you could freeze and you're in the field and you never see another yeah. tree. <laughs> and so, but because of that experience, I feel like I can outwork anybody on anything because I, that's the way I grew up. And then I, I sort of anchor myself to that now, even I drive a white car, but it, I, I'm still probably the rest of my life, I'm going to drive a white car. And the reason is because it reminds me of going out in the blizzard. And if I could get the job done, then I can get the job done now. So I hope that's a little tip for somebody else to anchor to some time in your life that you were really successful. It could be something you did amazing as a kid. But if you don't have the confidence now, you did something awesome in your life at one time. You you reached for a goal. You did something that was unexpected as a kid. And then anchor yourself to that, and it'll help you a bunch. Well, that's so good because, again, we have we always have to remember that at some point we've 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 probably done something that's been empowering, and we want to use that to as fuel to to move forward. So yeah. So coming close to the end of the interview, I was just wondering, like, would you like to, I know you just shared some, some words of wisdom, but like we have chiropractors out there that um, are like, might be challenged or just want to get a little bit of inspiration driving to work. What kind of words of inspiration would you like to leave the listeners with today? I don't think you have to go to a sweat lodge. I don't think you have to do this big meditation technique. I don't have to think you have to do this big program. 
to find your purpose. I think your purpose will find you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it partly found me when I got sick as a kid. It partly found me when I answered a phone call for another chiropractor that was laying up in the hospital paralyzed and looking for somebody to adjust him. I was the last in the phone book being winters. We called all the other chiropractors in town. Nobody would go up there and adjust him. I did. And then he went from being totally paralyzed with an autoimmune attack and being told he'd never walk again to actually regaining his function, going back into practice six years later. Wow. And that was an experience. And then two years later, my front desk person uh, started complaining about her eyes, quick stories. And then she went legally blind within three days with an autoimmune attack. And then when we got a break on steroids, we'd start doing some checking on her and found out she's gluten intolerant and a bunch of other stuff. And of course, adjusted her and all this. this and, and she got her eyesight back. And those two things I didn't go looking for, but they found me. And because they found me, I accepted that as part of my purpose. And that's one reason I work with really chronic patients and a lot of patients with autoimmune stuff and so forth. So I would just say to people, you don't have to do all these programs to find your purpose. Your purpose is going to find you. Yeah. And so just be open to it. Just have to be open to it. That's awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your day to share your story with us. I really appreciate it, Michael. All right. Thank you. All right. And everyone else there, I hope you enjoy that episode. And until next time, shift on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.